The scripture this morning is taken from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kimberly. We're in the run-up to Easter, uh, April 15th, and um, Redeemer Hope Oak in our church has annually taken up an offering at Easter to support our diaconate, the service arm of our church. And so two Sundays from now, on April 15th, we will be receiving an offering which will fund our diaconate for the year. But uh, many people don't even know what the diaconate is. And so today, as we prepare ourselves for Easter, um, I'm going to share a little bit from Scripture, from the book of Acts, um, to explain who and what a deacon is, what they do, what, why they're part of our church. Um, and we look at the book of Acts because the book of Acts is the history book of the church. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, which explain who Jesus is and what he did, how he behaved, how he interacted with people, the book of Acts is the history of what happened afterwards. What happened after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his returning glorified to the Father. The book of Acts tells you how human beings, how the original apostles responded to the gospel, how they organized themselves, how they interacted with the communities they were in and what they did next. They received the Holy Spirit. They began to preach. Peter's first sermon converted 3,000 people, and the church began to grow. And by the time we get to Acts 6, which is where we're looking right now, this growth has become an issue. So let's look at it. In those days, these are the very first few weeks of the Christian church, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, as I said, the Holy Spirit was drawing people to the church through the witness of the apostles. And in the middle of Jerusalem, you suddenly had this new community, this new way of being in relationship with God. They met in the temple. They met in each other's homes. They shared stories. They took care of each other. And they grew and they grew and they grew. 
But as you can see, growth brings consequences. I remember when I first became a, a Christian at Redeemer Manhattan, um, there was an explosive growth in the very early days of, of that church. It went from meeting in a Seventh-day Adventist hall when I first went there, about 100 people, to a few thousand people within the course of a year or two. And while it was very beautiful to watch, everybody was singing the praises of this new church, the people inside the church, the staff, the pastors, the people who, who had to organize every Sunday, were in absolute chaos. <laughs> Growth sounds and looks good, but if you're the one who's managing it, if you're on the inside, all you see are all the problems. All you hear are all the complaints. All you hear are all the ways that the church is not meeting the needs of the people. Well, that was exactly what was happening in the early church. And specifically, we have this complaint between the Hebraic Jews and the, the Greek Jews. Well, who are they? Well, the Hellenist Jews were what you might call the more uh, cosmopolitan travelers, people who had engaged with the Greek culture that the Romans had brought with them. That means they were into literature, they, were into, they would have been into the theater, which was just beginning back then. They were into all the aspects of the growing Roman Empire. The Hebraic Jews were the traditionalists, the ones that had stayed at home, the ones who'd lived in Jerusalem their whole life and lived in Israel their whole life. And so there was a cultural difference. And as you can see, the Hellenistic Jews are complaining because the locals are taking care of the needs of their people, specifically the widows. They're not taking care of these more cosmopolitan uh, Jews, the Hellenists. And this is a problem, because if you read the Old Testament, if you read the Bible, God says that the measure of faith, the measure of compassion and grace in God's people, or among God's people, is how well they take care of those in need. And back in that time, if you're a widow, you were by definition in need. You weren't allowed to own things. You weren't allowed to own land and farm it. If your husband died, you were an outcast. Unless you had family to take care of you, you had no income. You became a beggar, oftentimes a prostitute. It was a terrible time to be a widow. And so they were absolutely dependent on the kindness of the community. So the church has to respond to this. Verse 2, so the, so the twelve gathered all the disciples, that's the twelve apostles, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now it sounds a little dismissive when you first read that. We're going to do the cool stuff, we need somebody to wait on the tables to do the bad stuff. But really what is being said there is that each believer needs to discover and honor their unique call. And the apostles, who had traveled with Jesus for three years, lived with him, uh, ate with him, watched him, learned from him, their job was to share their experiences. 
In fact, if you read the Gospels, they are really memoirs, a series of anecdotes from the apostles about what they saw Jesus do, how he behaved, how he taught, what he said. That was their job. That's what an apostle does. Witnesses the direct experience of the person of Jesus. But the church is not passive. Everybody has a call. Everybody is called with a reason, for a purpose. And so when needs arise in the church, it's time for other people to begin to serve, to begin to respond. And that's what they're talking about here. A new kind of ministry, in addition to the apostles. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So this is a recognition that the church is the priesthood of believers. The apostles did not hang on to the responsibility and the power to do everything. Rather, they handed it off to other people. They're following here the example of Moses. They're allowing the church to be a living body, to adjust to its surroundings. And it pleased everyone. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochius, Nicanor, Timian, Panea, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This was a spiritual office, a spiritual role. They prayed for them and they laid their hands on them. This was a public sign of blessing and transferal of authority and mission, much like churches will commission missionaries before they send them off, or commission, if you've seen uh, a new church, commission new elders, or new deacons. It's a sign of this human passing on of call and responsibility. All right, fair enough so far. But what I want to draw your attention to now is this word, deacon. Diaconate. It's taken from a Greek word that is used three times in this passage. Look back at verse verse 1. The widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, the daily diaconi. It's a Greek word. It means to serve. And so giving of food to others is... Diakonos, diakonai. Verse 2. It would not be right for us to to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to diakonine on tables, to serve tables, to serve the food that the uh, disciples bring to the apostles, to serve that back to the widows. And verse 4. We will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry, the diaconi, of the word. So the diaconate, 
deacons, this word diakonos, doesn't just mean serving physical needs. It is also a spiritual act. Serving the word of God. Serving spiritually the needs of people. Giving them the gospel. Revealing Christ and his service to people by meeting their physical needs and spiritual needs, taking care of them. That's the essence of this new office, and that's what is happening here, a new office in the church. The diaconate, together, individually deacons. And so in our church, and historically in the Christian church, you have two offices. You have elders, that is, people like me and like uh, Godfrey, who are elected by the congregation to be leaders of the church. But you also have deacons, also elected by you, the congregation, to serve the needs that emerge within the congregation, to come alongside and take care. Two offices, two shared ministries that together form a Christian church. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A large number of priests. It's easy to skip over that. Why would large numbers of priests become Christians? Because they recognized that this new community was fulfilling God's word. They saw this new community taking care of its members. They saw people serving each other. They saw widows being fed. They saw people who were outcasts being brought in and included in this new community. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you recognize that the priests were called by God to take care of people. It was the priest who used the resources gathered by the temple tax to function as physicians, taking care of sick people, to take care of widows. There was sort of a mixture of a, a, phys- a physician or a social worker. They were the ones that make sure nobody fell through the cracks. And they recognized in this new community emerging in their midst, the Christian church, a community that was fulfilling God's word in this area by taking care of the needs of people. Not just speaking, but doing. Revealing God in word and in deed. There's a fabulous book um, by Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity. I highly recommend it. It's a great read. He's a historian, and he looks at the history of the church because there's something that needs to be explained in the Christian church. How could this small group of people grow so explosively that within a few centuries, they eventually they took over the Roman Empire, became the, the uh, official religion of Rome? How did that happen? What would make that occur? And there are many reasons to think about it. But one of the reasons that Rodney Stark points out that's often overlooked is that 
Christians were distinctive in that time and age because they took care of people. It used to be that your identity was rooted in your tribal identity or your identity in the city or a class of people. Your identity as a soldier or your identity of a particular group of people. But Christians, while not promiscuous with their bodies, were promiscuous with their love and their friendship and their care. They took care of everybody. They took care of slaves that had run away. They took care of people who were not of their tribe. They took care of people with different colored skin from different places. And they didn't just take care in a general sense. They took care of them specifically. It used to be that in the, the cities of the ancient world, there would be constant plagues and constant illness. There were no sewers. There was no running water. Cities were filthy places. Disease was common. Plagues would periodically sweep through uh, entire nations, uh, entire regions, decimate cities, kill thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And they were just accepted as a part of life. And the rich, when a plague showed up, would flee to the countryside or somewhere safe. The poor would have to stay there and just suffer and die. And people just waited until the plagues burnt themselves out, and then they would move back to the cities, burnt themselves out by killing a lot of people. When a plague showed up, you ran. You only took care of your immediate family, and you stayed away from strangers and people who might get you sick, unless you're a Christian. As Rodney Stark points out, Christians took care of each other. Nothing miraculous, but when they got sick, they would wash people. They would change their clothes. They would bring them fresh water and fresh food. And so disproportionately, Christians would survive. And other people noticed this. They noticed when the leaders and the rich ran away, the Christians, by and large, stayed, took care of each other, took care of strangers. And over time, the reputation of the Christian church became so overwhelming that Rome converted to Christianity. The world saw a witness in Christian service. And that's one of the primary drivers of the growth of the church. The church was an attractive community to belong to because it was filled with people serving each other and taking care of each other, being family when family was gone being a support system when everything else fell apart and everybody else ran away. That's what it means to be a church of service. You know, some of you know this, but uh, the main reason that I'm here is because of the diaconate. When I was at seminary, I was looking for an internship. And I happened to, to run into uh, somebody from Redeemer, Manhattan, that I had known when I first became a Christian, and she was the head of the diaconate. And at the time, there were no internships at the church. They'd never had an intern. And so she, at a diaconate meeting, said, we've got this guy at seminary. He's looking for an internship. What can we do? Well, somebody wrote a check at that meeting of the deacons, $12,000 for my year's salary, and in fact, Yvonne Dodd, she was the head of the diaconate at the time, 
I stayed for three weeks on the sofa of her boyfriend when I first moved out to Manhattan because there was no place for me to, to stay. Uh, so I stayed on that sofa. And the diaconate kind of took me under their wing. It's very hard to live on $12,000 in Manhattan. They would take me out to dinner. They would just take me to their parties. They would take me on trips. And then, when they found out that I could sail, they started organizing sailing trips. And I was a skipper, and we crammed 12 or more people onto a boat and go on these amazing trips. And that's the first time I really experienced Christian culture. I've sailed a, I'd sailed a lot in England, and the thing about a sailboat is there's nowhere for problems to go. Tension, anger, anxiety, whatever it is, stays on the boat. And so we used to, out of desperation, have these meetings. We call them bitch and moans, where you're allowed for half an hour to say anything about anybody on the boat, about what they did that annoyed you or what they did that you would like them to change, who used all the water or left the bathroom ugly or whatever it was. You were allowed to say anything. Half an hour, free bitch and moan. So here I am. I'm a skipper. I got this boat full of deacons, Christian deacons. I didn't know how they behaved. So I said on the first day, it's time for the bitch and moan. We've been on this boat for 24 hours. We're going to do this to make sure there's no problems. And they looked to me like I was a space alien. We don't do that. <laughs> Deacons do not bitch and moan. What we do is love each other. And so we called them not bitch and moans, but lovins. And we made a pledge to each other. This wasn't from me. This came from the deacons. We weren't just to try not to annoy each other or get out of each other's way. Everyone committed on the first day of the trip to actively seek to anticipate everybody else's need. So nobody would have to ask for anything. If you saw somebody who looked like they might be thirsty or need a cup of tea or a hug or whatever it was, a dry towel, whatever it was, you tried to anticipate the need. And it was amazing. We did, the first trip was for a week. And I guarantee there is not a Russian billionaire on a mega yacht in the world that had better service than we had on that trip. Where people were trying to anticipate and take care of each other before we even knew it was an issue. It was the most wonderful experience I ever had. Uh, it's what cemented me to that church. Uh, it's why I ended up becoming a pastor at Redeemer. Uh, we did those trips for the first 10 years I was there. Uh, Redeemer did not pay their pastors very much when I started. And so my year of vacation was taking deacons on trips. They would pay for my trip if I was their skipper. A community, a group of people, committed to serving each other. And that is the witness. That is what a gospel community looks like. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's talking to the apostles. Instead, whoever wants 
to become great amongst you must be your servant, diakonos. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to, to be served, diakonathai, but to serve, diakonos, and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ understood his life and his ministry as an act of diakonos, of service. He understood his death on the cross as an act of service. And in the Lord's table, he literally serves himself to his people. That is a picture of the Christian church. That is why we have a diaconate. To remind us, elders and all, what service looks like. What true leadership looks like. Taking care of each of us. Revealing God's love when we are low. When we're in trouble. When we're feeling alienated. Coming alongside and revealing true Christian love. That was what your deacons are all about. And so... I want to invite them all up right now. You have, by the way, a card. It's got a picture of all these lovely people. Now, why am I inviting them up? First of all, they are lovely people. They are worth cherishing and, and paying attention to. But also, they're going to tell you why they are deacons, what it is meant to them, and this is a way of preparing you to think about what you want to give in two weeks on Easter when we have our diaconate offering. So uh, you're going to share briefly why you're a deacon and what it means to you. Hi, everyone. My name is Elsie. Um, well, for me, I've looking back at some of my past um, life experiences, I've definitely... Uh, seen God's mercy and faithfulness um, throughout my life and um, you know he's given me the strength to face very difficult things and um, I feel like through those moments through those difficult times of pain and, and need um, he shaped my heart to care for the things that he cares about and he's humbled me and um, you know for me it's really a privilege to now be able to be here and um, in loving response to what he's done for me to um, care for his people, to care for the things that he cares about and, you know, grow his kingdom. So that's why, you know, I feel very moved um, to be a deacon, to be here and to serve you, you know. Thank you, everyone. My name is Catherine, for those who don't know. And um, I joined the diaconate because I know firsthand that this life is not easy. And in um, <clears throat> dark times, people have come alongside me and, and been there for me. And um, that, um, I'm crying. <laughs> that, didn't expect that. <clears throat> but that, that compassion and, and that support changed me and gave me a desire to want to give back and um, be there for someone in their time of need. And I get to serve with these lovely people. And every time we meet, I'm amazed by the compassion that you guys have. <laughs> well, I should maybe echo Catherine. I think part of, 
part of maybe what calls each of us to the diaconate is that we have a certain gift of empathy maybe, and that's what makes us cheerful in a lot of cases. <laughs> but um, in my case, I guess when I... Um, when I see problems and difficulties, I think there, you know, there are many ways to address things, sometimes politically, sometimes institutionally, and those sorts of things are not my gift. But I do know that my gift really is the, um, you know, sort of the one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on, in-the-moment kind of help, and I, that's what I feel like I'm called to in the diaconate. Thank you. I became a deacon because uh, Amy Kramer looked at me at a women's retreat and said, you should be on the diaconates. I didn't have a clue what that was about, but here I am. So the one thing that we have spoken about uh, today is the concept of actually serving daily. And one of my responsibilities in the diaconate is to represent Redeemer Hoboken in the communities of faith. They're all different churches in Hoboken that actually support the um, Hoboken shelter. They basically um, have 50 people that spend the night in the church on 300 Bloomfield. And um, it's been a wonderful opportunity for me to learn just to be careful about what you think because but for the grace of God, there would be uh, you. So if anybody wants more info, you can speak with me. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, I'm on the diaconate. But I think a lot of what Tony was saying, I started thinking about my life really resonated with who I am. And I think that most of my life I've been tongue-tied as far as like, you know, especially in my Christian walk. I became Christian later in life. But to figure out what is the right word to say, how, what, how can I pray for this person? And I always find that I'm just like, how can I help you? What food can I make for you? Can I help you move? Like, I'm very much a physical, like, let me help you kind of person. And even when I started at my previous church, I was the person who just schlopped out and cleaned out the coffee in the back. And I felt like that was where I needed to be. So if you're somebody who feels like physically can help, like, the diaconate's a great place. And I actually, um, I'm, I do the meals ministry. I facilitate that. And that's an amazing crew of volunteers. So if you're interested in talking about that after the service, see me. Um, and then I also just want to say I have, um, can you like, hold this? So Karen couldn't be here today, all right? And, and she gave me the uh, right to be able to do this. So Karen is here with us in spirit. She's, uh, she wasn't able to be here, but I do have some of her words. So Pete, could you just hold Karen for a second? Okay. So Karen said, um, I accepted the invitation to become a deacon at Redeemer because I received confirmation from God. I also felt that taking care of the needs of the people in our church is in line with my spiritual gifts, and I felt that it was the right time in my life to serve in this way. Thank you, Karen. Hi, I'm Peter. Um, so one of the things that, that struck me when I was thinking about what I was going to say up here is that through reading Scripture, um, so many times God called uh, someone to serve and they were reluctant and, and the same thing kind of happened with me when I was nominated for the diaconate because I felt like it was pushing me out of my comfort zone um, which God does all the time and I just took it as a message um, that he was working in my life and, and I just wanted to listen to, so I'm really thankful um, to have the opportunity to serve uh, and I would would urge all of you to um, just to listen to God in your life and even if he's trying to push you out of your comfort zone that's probably um, where 
amazing things are going to happen for you. I'm not taking center stage, but I can't talk in front of... Tony said don't talk in front of the microphone. Uh, my name is Jerry, and um, how this came about for me, I, uh, some years ago, I'm sorry for standing in front of you, um, I was really in a tough way, and um, our then friend at that time, uh, Dave Warner, I was visiting with Dave, and Dave's no longer with us, but, and Dave said to me, why don't you go to the diaconate? And I, quite frankly, I didn't even know what the diaconate was. I thought it was a subdivision of the Supreme Court. <laughs> and I, I had no idea. So I reached out at that time to Sonny Gupta. I don't know if Sonny's here, but uh, um, Sonny and uh, Mike Moody at that time was on the diaconate, and they came to my house, and um, the diaconate was so supportive and helpful. And um, when Tony had talked to me about becoming a deacon, I, I just really jumped at the opportunity, and it's been a pleasure to serve with, um, with these folks. And I just wanted just two quick things, uh, a special thanks to Lindsay Titus for putting these cards together. Um, you have to frame them and hang them over your fireplace. But seriously, on the back is um, contact information. Please, if you need anything or need help, please reach out, um, and we'd be very willing to help. And the other thing is, um, on this offering that's coming about on Easter Sunday, if you know you're not going to be here and you would like to support the ministries of the diaconate, and the congregational needs. You can actually donate at any time. Just write deacon or diaconate offering on the memo line, and it'll go to the right place. Thank you. Your diaconate. So uh, I'm going to pray for them. Um, remember these faces. You've got pictures, so you have no excuse. Hug a deacon today. This is Diaconate Sunday. And think about Easter and the offering that we're going to take up to support their ministry. But let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you for these men and women, for their hearts of service, for the way they reflect your service, your compassion, and your love. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would continue to work in and through them, that in their lives and in their service we would see you more clearly. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in this room right now who is hurting, who does need your love and compassion, that uh, you will give them the courage to read out, reach out to our diaconate today. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please. And uh, now as we continue to worship, we are going to receive...